Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs>
Welcome to the Common Thread Collective. We are free-minded folks around here for sure. And some music from Renee Asteria from her album Rasteria. And uh, a very cool and meaningful album. I'm finding it to be. So happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. We're going to be playing another some more songs off of her album, especially the one that just started called Illegal. Um, but uh, it is September 8th, 2017. Uh, we are back in action here at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street. That's at the corner of 21st in Florida. Our minds, hearts, doors, and microphones are open to you. And some of our friends are already gathering here. And Diamond Dave is back. Um, he's shuffling around outside right now, but he'll be in in just a couple minutes. But we're going to have another call this fine afternoon from our friend Lucid, uh, who is down in Houston doing 
disaster relief after Hurricane Harvey with his crew that have been doing this for a couple of years now, uh, jumping around from uh, after the Rainbow Gathering last year, the Shining Light Kitchen, going down to Louisiana to help people after the floods down there. They went up to Standing Rock in North Dakota and donated their giant teepees. Uh, to the uh, to the camp and the efforts going on over there um, they're currently down in Houston uh, they've regrouped as the altruist relief crew so if you want to check out their website altruist relief dot org a l t r u i s t r e l i e f altruistrelief.org uh, and see some of the ways that you might be able to help them. Uh, these folks are totally legit and you'll hear it um, from Lucid when he gives us a call in about 15 minutes or so. But I wanted to play. He, he's also an independent journalist. He does these kind of mini documentaries um, about the different um, things that are going on and where he is and what, he's tr- what they're trying to do uh, specifically down in Houston. So he has a YouTube channel called Lucid Lorax and, uh, you know, who speaks for the trees. And so here's a little um, video from altruistrelief.org that I want to play for you so you get an idea of who we're going to be talking to in about 15 minutes. Relief volunteers are on the ground in Houston responding to the catastrophic effects of Hurricane Harvey. I got into the George R. Brown Convention Center, the largest of the almost 250 shelters across Texas that are holding a total of 35,000 people evacuated from their homes. And I was able to visit with some of the 9,000 men, women, and children housed in this one shelter. I was also able to survey some of the 100,000 damaged homes, 43,000 of which FEMA considers to be totally destroyed. So by matching this map with the map of shelters, of Latino communities, and of the lowest income regions. And after speaking with multiple community organizers in some of the lowest income regions, I was able to determine some of the areas of greatest need. We have extensive industrial kitchens capable of serving 100 gallons of food using only renewable resources. The kitchens are housed in our unique 2,000-square-foot rapid-response tents that resemble gigantic Siberian teepees. Our uniquely inexpensive methods of preparing and transporting food are just some of the ways that set us apart from the other large-scale disaster relief organizations. Another unique aspect of this project is our practice of radical logistic and financial transparency through the use of this YouTube channel. For example, you can see here that we made 2235 in two and a half weeks. And then Sally so-and-so can see her $100 donation on August 16th. And then she can see receipts of exactly when and where we spent $487. Altruist Relief needs your help as we continue to collaborate with friends and family relief effort in responding to this unprecedented natural disaster. Your money will help maintain the operation of our kitchen our emergency shelters, and our distribution center by providing things like food, fuel, water filters, porta-potties, etc. It will make it possible for our volunteers to set up more of our unique rapid response industrial kitchens, each capable of serving 100 gallons of food in a few hours using only renewable resources. This is one of the worst natural disasters in American history. Altruist Relief is committing to providing emergency services to those affected by Hurricane Harvey, 
for as long as necessary. For more information, or to make a donation, click the link in the description or visit altruistrelief.org. And that's our friend Lucid, currently down in Houston. I'm calling him a Houston Manitarian. Um, and uh, they're doing a lot of good work down there. So if you are listening to the show, and as of August, apparently there are 8,000 of you who are listening to this shows, um, at least 5,000 of you listening to Common Thread Collective, 3,000 of you listening to Women's Magazine. Um, if any of you want to contribute to the efforts to try to help people recover after these terrible acts of, um, you know, well, nature, uh, can't blame nature, uh, just what happens. Um, and, um, you know, but these are, these are our fellow human beings who are just trying to live their lives. And, uh, I've been completely interrupted. So, um, we want to thank Lucid for doing the work that he does with his crew, Altruist Relief. So they're going to be giving us a call in just a few minutes here on the Common Thread Collective here at Mutiny Radio. We've been holding it down at Mutiny Radio here for a long time. Um, I've been with the show since, you know, consistently since at least 2011, but I know Diamond Dave started even way back during the Pirate Cat radio days of, uh, I think it was maybe even as back as far as 2007. It might be, might be 10 years of the Common Thread Collective. I'm not exactly sure. Nine or 10. Either way, um, this uh, great tapestry that we're uh, building and creating this very multicolored <laughs> tapestry that is the Common Thread Collective is growing far and wide. And if you're out there listening, know that you are a part of it. And uh, we certainly appreciate you tuning in and sharing the show and hopefully enjoying the show. Uh, I don't know why you'd be listening to it if you didn't. So, um, yeah, lots of love to everybody out there um, for shining your light. And uh, Diamond Dave is working his way into the studio as we speak. The door is slowly opening to the studio so he can come in and sit down. And in the meantime, I want to um, let everybody know it's September and the big event coming up this month that we're really excited about around here. Of course, there's a lot going on, a lot of amazing things. But uh, in the month of September here, September 23rd, which is a Saturday, the fifth annual Peace in the Park Festival this year having a special edition to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the summer of love. And that'll be in the music concourse at Golden Gate Park. Diamond Dave will be there to do kind of an opening blessing, uh, community invocation with Jorge Molina. We, we hope that Jorge will be able to join us for that. And I'm going to be emceeing the event all after all day long. So it's going to be a great day. I'm looking forward to it. Um, there's a lot of really great people who are, uh, coming together to volunteer to put this festival on and um, I'm really uh, privileged and honored to be a part of the um, of kind of the planning to see you know how, how it's all coming together um, but it is coming together it is designed to the festival is supposed to be about rejuvenation relaxation so there's going to be meditation we're going to have two live uh, global meditations from the main stage but there's also a meditation tent there'll be yoga there'll be tai chi there'll be arts and music and uh, a lot of uh, really nice people out there in the park that's golden gate park of course saturday september 23rd from 11 to 6 and there'll be there's more information online peace in the park sf.org and 
Do my eyes deceive me? No, they do not. Uh, here I be, as you see. I see. Hey, uh, welcome back, uh, Diamond Dave. Valerie, I, I want to say because I, I was, uh, I was, uh, uh, I was, I was not here last week because of what happened. Because I had a sudden, it was a hundred degrees. I walked, 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 walked to get here in that heat. Then just before I got here, I, my legs began to, my legs began to. Move back and forth. They've been moving back and forth. What's going on? They move back and forth faster, and then I fell on the ground. It turned out I was having a sunstroke, and next thing I knew, I was in the ambulance, being taken away with ice put all over my body. And it turns out that I had it. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll pick that up for you, Dave. That I had a uh, sunstroke, and that's why I was. Uh, I was mysteriously absent last week, but here I am again. Here I am. So I want to say belatedly, Val, happy birthday, happy birthday. Oh, thank you, Dave. Because it was your birthday show. It was. Uh, I know we were we were concerned, and but the 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 gift comes in that you're okay. That I'm okay, and uh, we're way at three thirty. We got a uh, we're having a call coming in from Texas. From Houston, where Lucid has been feeding the people, and now he's feeding the people. He'll tell us all about it and how it is around them in uh, Texas, and hopefully we'll have another call from Felipe, who happens to be in, in Florida, as a um, as another great hero begins uh, rushing in. So there we are, and here we are, and that's how it is. It is. It is. I'm. I'm happy to be here. Um, we've got a, a few cool events coming up soon. Uh, this uh, this coming Thursday, bef before we do our next show, uh, the San Francisco will have inaugurated the newest poet laureate, Kim Shuck. Oh my goodness! And uh, That's she happens to be. In fact, I believe is on this show. You remember Val? She has been on our show many times. Many times. It was on this show that she said, I, I said to her, I believe you've, uh, you've been nominated for Poet Laureate. And she said, yes, I have been. And little we know that indeed she would be Poet Laureate. Kim Shuck. Very exciting. So I'll be there on Thursday. And you may be too. Is that right? I'll be there on Thursday. Yes, I, I do plan to be there on Thursday. So this coming Thursday, the 14th, at 6 p.m. in the Corette Auditorium, which is downstairs in the main library, uh, the branch on Grove Street at Civic Center. And so, I've been at every one since the inauguration of the first Poet Laureate. I'm talking about Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who is, of course, the first Poet Laureate, and all the others that followed. And so here we are, and there we are, and there it's going to be. And so uh, while you were working your way in here, Dave, I played one of Lucid Lorax, um, one of the Lucid Lorax um, videos that he puts on his YouTube channel um, talking about what Altruist Relief is doing down there in Houston. So um, he'll be giving us a call in in just a few minutes. Um, but I also wanted to play another video um, that he made because uh, he was also, of course, up in Standing Rock. But um, 
but also he and his girlfriend went to Greece and were working in refugee camps. <coughs> um, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to play play one of those videos as well because he's been a busy bee. So so uh, here's an interesting story here um, from Lucid Lorax. Oh, you can be going in a minute. While working at Syrian refugee camps off the coast of Turkey, I was able to speak with a teenager named Mohammed who fled Afghanistan at the age of 16 after his parents were murdered by the Taliban. He told me about a journey that took nearly two years, escaping Afghanistan, crossing Iran, Iraq, over the borders of Turkey, and finding a boat over the water to Lesbos. Uh, when we arrived near the border of Turkey, there was a big, big mountain. And we was a family. My family, no, that families from Afghanistan, they have a very small, small case. I help them and sometimes I took the bay of them, sometimes I took the kids of them. So when we crossed the border, so uh, uh, police attack on us by the guns when they saw us. On the border of Turkey? Yeah, on the border. And we got another mountain. They were shooting at you as yeah. you as you were trying to cross into yeah. Turkey over the mountains? Yeah, they shoot at us. But we don't care. We cross the borders. And there was a lot of families that they, um, that they <coughs> said for the gods, gods help us. And sometimes they were crying. Small, small babies, they were crying. Yeah. They took very big risk also, that they want to move by this small boat to here. Upon arriving in the Greek island of Lesbos, Muhammad was admitted to the Moria camp, a refugee camp for single men run like a prison with double chain-link razor wire fences. People lived in tents in the yard. There was fires and riots and a generally low standard of living. It was particularly interesting that he mentioned each refugee in Greece receives 90 euros a month from the United Nations. So the men, women, and children in the Karatepe family camp were relatively assured of being accepted into the European Union on some sort of reasonable time frame. But the men in the Moria camp were being held basically indefinitely. He gave an example of a Canadian ship that docked off the coast of Greece and offered 2,000 euros each to buy each of the men in the Moria camp and give them asylum, citizenship, in Canada. They were turned down, saying, no, we want 6,000 euros each, which shows that you can calculate the minimum amount of time that Greece intends to keep these single men based on the amount of money that they asked for for each one. They're using this 90 euros a month coming from the United Nations as a stimulus package for the failing Grecian economy. They said we will pay 2,000 euros for each refugees and you should let them to come. And the captain of police, they said no, we want 6,000 euros from each refugees. How long ago was that? Yeah, in the summer. In the summer? Yeah. Everyone is humanity. Everyone have a humanity. So Muslims, Christians, 
it's, it's I think it's not important. It's important that we are human, humans being. Preparation for the Global Relief Project began two months before the gathering. And it was the culmination of a nearly six-year-long project to develop a dynamic humanitarian aid organization capable of addressing a diverse range of global challenges. Over the course of the year leading up to this demonstration, we deployed in Baton Rouge, Louisiana to feed people affected by the catastrophic floods. We deployed in Standing Rock to both set up a large kitchen and to deliver seven teepees. And we went to work in Syrian refugee camps off the coast of Turkey to assess the viability of setting up this project as a refugee camp. The Global Relief Project came out of Shining Light Kitchen, a large rainbow kitchen with the finest custom-made gear, capable of making dinners as large as 130 gallons. And like many kitchens at the gathering, Shining Light acted as trip advisors for people on the verge of major life transitions just by showing them an alternative to standard civilization. Crashing down upon the bones of archaic, degraded, overinflated civilizations promoting some sort of hatred. The Global Relief Project is a versatile humanitarian aid organization housed in one of the largest teepees in the world. The primary kitchen teepee consists of three incredibly durable sheets hung onto nine lodge poles, 37 feet long. The entire structure is under 1,000 pounds and almost 2,000 square feet. The central feature of the kitchen teepee is a set of seven stoves that each hold a 15-gallon stainless steel beer keg cut into a soup pot. This prototype was made to vent near an opening at the top, but the final design includes three sets of stoves capable of making 300 gallons of food simultaneously. And they will each run out the side of the canvas, allowing the entire thing to be completely waterproof. On several occasions, this system produced 100 gallons of food in about an hour with only a small bundle of firewood. The efficiency of the system can be increased by adding insulation blanket to the stoves or copper coil around the stack to heat an external water tank. The stoves are also made to work interchangeably with two-foot walks for sauteing the vegetables used in our soups. The entire project is simple by design, easily reproducible, and can be made with almost entirely recycled materials. The layout of the system allows for greater accessibility and by having the keg sit down inside the stove, we're able to obtain a much higher level of efficiency than traditional stoves.
Up to 3,500 people gather in the main meadow each evening for dinner. Seated in concentric circles, the food is brought around to them by each of the main kitchens in a surprisingly efficient system that allows everyone to be fed in about an hour. Because the Rainbow Gathering is the largest peaceful assembly in the ecosystem anywhere in North America and possibly anywhere in the world, it's been the perfect place to develop the relief project and to test its effectiveness before it's deployed. The Rainbow Gathering is an epicenter of excellent people in North America, and it's a lens that focuses people on the verge of their transition and propels them in their trajectory towards whatever goals that they're trying to accomplish that seem unattainable. It's a tool that teaches people the extent of what's possible, that teaches them to think bigger and broader and outside of the box. The Rainbow Gathering is a real-life demonstration of what it would take to live communally in community, in the ecosystem. The Rainbow Gathering is a mechanism to bring people into nature, to show people what it is, its inherent worth, and what we're fighting for. That is some more reporting from Lucid Lorax, who's going to be calling in in just about five minutes. Uh, in the meantime, we've got a live show going on here at 21st in Florida. Our friend Bloodflower has brought a beautiful, beautiful mandolin to, to start it off for us. Thanks for being here, Bloodflower. Thank you. Take it away, my friend.
afternoon. Thank, Thank you, Bloodflower. Thanks hey. for being here. So, so cool. We're listening to the Common Thread Collective here on MutinyRadio.fm in San Francisco. Diamond Dave's here. I'm Global Val, and our friend Lucid is on the phone calling back two weeks in a row now from Houston doing disaster relief with altruistrelief.org down after Hurricane Harvey. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Lucid. Thanks for having me. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, we I can hear we can hear you. Well, welcome back. What's um so we we got a chance to talk last week. Um it was really important you were down there uh, ahead of the the rest of the crew that was heading down with the kitchen. Uh what's been going on? So a bunch of the gear showed up and a bunch of volunteers and we set up the uh CP in the world that's holding our entire uh, rapid response kitchen. And right now, currently, we're driving down to uh, serve our first large-scale meal. We're going to be pulling into the parking lot in about uh, the first location and probably end up serving in three different locations uh, this evening. Simultaneously. But tell us how that's happening, how that's been put together, and what's going to be happening. Well, we've been uh, we've been putting this project together for a long time, but it's uh, finally come to fruition uh, here in Northeast Houston, uh, with a lot of uh, generous people's donations from all over the country and a lot of support. Uh, we finally got this project up and running, and uh, had to build the infrastructure for a little while, but now it's come together, and we're set up to, to cook a, a really high volume of food, and we're connecting with lots of different communities. So. Uh, for right now, we're going to be feeding uh, two or three different locations. And then by next week, we'll have uh, three different sites set up. And each one will be serving maybe half a, do- uh, half a dozen locations around each site. So we're going to try to have the, the biggest impact we can on this uh, area of northeast Houston. Oh, my goodness. So uh, let's uh, break that down a bit. So you're going to be setting up the uh, world's biggest teepee. With your uh, with your st- your kitchen structure of uh, uh, how many how many different uh, cooking units cooking areas? So there's uh, each each of these rapid response tents that uh, resum- resemble giant Siberian teepees. Oh my goodness! They're each capable of cooking a thousand meals uh, for dinner uh, for each meal, and so um, we're gonna. We're going to try to be serving uh, at least twice uh, two different meals, and we'll be serving from the location that we're at. And then we're going to try to also uh, distribute food to a lot of surrounding areas for people that don't have transportation or won't be able to get around. So we've hooked up with different trailer courts and low-income communities, and uh, we're going to try to uh, just cook as much food as we can. And right now we're still making connections with uh, um, community leaders and pastors and a councilwoman and figuring out exactly how to... Uh, get this food out to as many uh, as many people as possible. So currently, I'm uh, we're just driving down the road and looking for this uh, location that we're about to pull into. There's a caravan of us, and we have about uh, 30 gallons of food uh, with us right now. And we're going to a place where there's been a lot of uh, distribution before of goods and uh, other things like that. So we're uh, we're pulling into the parking lot and we're going to start serving out uh, as I'm on the phone with you. 
speak. As we speak. Amazing. So I know when we talked last week, um, this, the on the ground situation was that at least in West Houston, um, the flooding had receded, but then they were going to have to release some of the water out of the reservoirs and kind of flood parts of it again. Um, do you have any uh, other updates uh, in that regard in terms of um, just the, I, I know people are trying to rebuild right now and, and get in their homes and, and that's why Altruist Relief, your your crew is, is doing such amazing work and making sure that people get fed and get good healthy meals um, while they're trying to do this. But what's the situation on the ground in terms of uh, the, the, the natural, the, the, the floods and such? So we have our uh, primary base of operations up in northeast Houston because it was uh, an easy place to be able to get set up at. And we had access to all the resources we needed and uh, a big parking lot and forklifts and all these kinds of things. But now we're trying to get out into some of these surrounding communities, um, including uh, Orange, the community of Orange and Beaumont and Port Arthur, some outlying communities that were particularly hard hit that um, haven't received the the proper response uh, that haven't really been getting any food from the Red Cross or the uh, Salvation Army and um, we're, we're using this as our base of operations to try to get out to uh, some of these these surrounding communities so there's no water in these places and a lot of cases there's no uh, there's no uh, the, the, the electricity isn't set up and the stores have been flooded so we're going to be transporting quite a lot of the food and the water and everything that we'll be needing uh, three hours from Houston. So um, we've uh, now that we've got this, we've just got an Organic Valley refrigerator truck in, and uh, we have a, a bunch more food. There's uh, the the other school bus is showing up today with uh, the the other teepee. And then we're going to be trying to get out into that community, but it's, uh, it's extremely difficult being three hours from, uh, from our main source of water and, uh, and food and other supplies. So um, it, it's going to take us another three days probably to be able to set up out there. Um, but then once we're there, we'll, we will be able to uh, support the entire surrounding community, hopefully for a month or so at least uh, prelim- preliminarily. Wow, that'd be beautiful. Lucid, lucid. And then it's just the two that we have. We have one hurricane uh, already come and gone, but left this devastation in its path in Houston and that part of Texas. And then we have another, uh, Felipe is in, just happens to be in South Florida, where another hurricane is coming roaring in. And uh, he's going to be uh, setting up He's going to be helping put together something there to feed the people of the South Florida. As, as you're feed, feeding the, the feeding the people of uh, of Houston and its environs, three hours, three hours. Yes. Uh, Felipe uh, just came in through our kitchen. He stopped uh, for a night and uh, then took off again. He's he's en route, but uh, he stopped in at our kitchen just briefly on his way over there. Uh, some some of the people that we were collaborating with last year are going to be going over to Florida to respond to that and uh, working with uh, a Dr. Bronner's kitchen. Um, but since we're dug in here and since you know we can't you can't do everything for everyone, we're just trying to do something for someone. And since we're dug in in this spot, we're going to try to uh, 
uh, be as beneficial as we can in this surrounding area because there's just such an extensive need. And, uh, and being since it's such a dense population, we're going to be able to reach a lot of people uh, just in the surrounding communities. Oh my goodness. How many folks do you have in your crew in your caravan? Uh, right now, uh, going to feed, there's probably 10 of us. I think altogether there's probably uh, 20 volunteers that have worked together for a long period of time. And then every day there's more volunteers showing up from uh, around the country. Some people coming from the other side of the country, in some cases hitchhiking, and uh, in some cases driving down as quickly as they can to get here. So we expect to, to get another three or four or five volunteers every day for the next couple of weeks. And this is similar to what we did, we did in Prince Waveland, Mississippi, and then New Orleans after Katrina, and how we were after the Superstorm Sandy in Union Beach, New Jersey. And the role of the Rainbow Family shouldn't be ignored because it's through the Rainbow Family and these Rainbow Connections that this is happening. Is that right? Yeah, um, we're, we're, in, uh, we're in association with the Family of Friends relief effort. And um, they, they've been feeding since, uh, since Katrina, uh, but they, they are not on, there's a couple of those members on the ground, but their uh, crew, their gear, hasn't arrived yet, but uh, Altruist Relief, who uh, we we paired with them last year, we uh, we showed up pretty pretty early on and then got set up. So we're thinking that we're going to set up an initial collaboration here, a large scale uh, kitchen. But they are running a uh, a refrigerator truck that's pulling uh, a, a restaurant trailer. So they're going to be mobile and driving around in this area. And uh, they're not quite sure of their schedule, but maybe for two weeks, uh, maybe three, and then they potentially might head down to Florida after that, depending on the, the scale of the damage. The damage is as... as uh... But uh, Altruist Relief is going to stay here in Houston uh, for the long term, just because uh, the unprecedented nature of this flooding, that it's, it's just completely unlike anything that had uh, ever happened in scale, being 20 trillion gallons of water. Um, falling onto this fourth largest city, it's uh, the, just the the, sh the scale is kind of unimaginable. Unimaginable, we can imagine thousands of people whose homes are destroyed, whose car whose cars are underwater, who are now homeless and uh, staying in shelters, uh, attempting to survive, and we'll see where we go from here. And I, I have a question, too. I'm, I'm curious because I myself, um, unlike you and Dave and your good, good crew, I myself have not been in the type of uh, situation that you have uh, being in a, in a disaster relief effort uh, on the ground. And I'm just kind of curious about how everyone responds and and you know you're you're down there you're set up in northeast houston i mean who who's coming through to like you know talk with you and you know are there local um you know authorities that come through and check and see what's going on uh kind of is or is it just more fluid and and it's the communities that that you're interacting with can you give Give us a sense of, of what it's like to, to be in that position that you're in. Um, well, I think it's uh, the, the police force specifically is so overwhelmed 
that I don't think uh, they, they pay any attention to us. I think it's been such a difficult situation for, for the government infrastructure that it's, it's uh, difficult for them to, to focus on anything, and that kind of gives us uh, a little bit of anonymity that we need to operate. Um, nice. Because uh, after Occupy, there were so many laws put in place that prevented people from uh, peacefully assembling or from giving out food at all, all across the country. And uh, in the middle of Houston, there was signs, even right next to the Red Cross shelter, that had uh, saying that it was illegal to give food to anyone. Wow. So under a normal circumstances, uh, we, I would expect that we would uh, receive a high degree of scrutiny from law enforcement just about, the, about creating peaceful assembly by uh, giving out free food. But in this situation, um, it seems that they, they don't even notice us. But beyond law enforcement, the, uh, there's no Red Cross presence and there's no, um, there's no uh, Salvation Army presence or any other large-scale aid organization. So it, it seems as though uh, we're, we're just almost the only uh, assistance that's being received in a lot of these places. Uh, uh, people say that they haven't seen any uh, food trucks or anything like that coming through. So I, I'm... Um, Beyond that, there's a, there's a lot of people from the community that are coming out and volunteering and helping in the kitchens. And uh, the community organizers in this area have just been incredible for their uh, networking and how, how in touch they are with all the different regions that had needed uh, assistance before the hurricane even struck. So there was already a fairly good um, network of people who had been providing assistance to these Latino communities and the undocumented communities before uh, this hurricane hit. So we were able to kind of tap in to some of that. Uh, for me personally, it's been uh, just a really intense process um, being uh, almost like a team of secretaries. I'm on the phone all day long talking with people and uh, putting together the teepees and building the infrastructure and making phone calls and trying to uh, uh, raise money for this project and we, we've raised a fair amount of money so far but as it is now um, we we're down to the last uh, couple hundred dollars that we've brought in in donations and so uh, once this next bus shows up um, we'll be down into the the reserves which is uh, my own personal bank account again and it, it doesn't have very much in it but that's the that's the reserve that we get down to is when uh, when I end up uh, kind of fronting the bill for the operation. So the fundraising and networking and secretarial types of things have taken a forefront in my own personal, um, my, my own personal obligations, which is a big change for me because normally I had been physically constructing the gear or physically cooking food and directing things like that. So it's a, a whole new role for me at this point. Well, tell us, Lucid, uh, tell us, and thus tell our particular part of the world uh, who happen to be listening in by via the internet? How people who would like to uh, donate, how they can get, how they can do that? Um, people could donate to uh, at altruistrelief.org. Altruist. Uh, we have a, uh, links to uh, PayPal where I get uh, money rather instantly, and I'm uh, able to to spend it on things that we immediately need. And there's also a, a crowd. Uh, crowdfunding campaign there on through generosity that only that charges the same transaction fee of three percent on uh, on donations that PayPal does so a very low transaction fee 
and then that's being put together into a larger campaign that uh, we'll have access to in about a month. So both of those uh, methods of donating uh, will help us out uh, considerably in our operations. It's been uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, legwork and uh, uh, premeditation of getting things set up, getting the infrastructure put together, getting the uh, everybody here and everything going. But we're we're serving food currently at this moment in uh, Northeast Houston, and in order to continue these operations. We're at a point now where we've taken care of a lot of the basics. We have uh, propane, we have food storage, we have all of these things put together, and so now we just need to maintain some sort of uh, donation flow to keep this thing going. And uh, uh, I'll keep you updated as to how everything goes uh, through the through the week. Perfect. And if uh, what happens to Katrina, the food will be begin to come in because we're the, we were the ones on the on the. Uh, on the spot there, at the end of the line there, and food. So food was coming in. Food was coming in. Uh, FEMA, where FEMA and the Red Cross, of course, of course we were totally uh, totally independent of them. But in fact, through them, because it was, we were the ones doing it, food began to come in. Is that what's happening there? Uh, to some degree. Um, uh there is, there's, like I said, this Organic Valley refrigerator truck just came in with some dairy and some eggs and things like that. Um, and there, there is food uh, coming in to some degree, but it's, uh, it's really complicated, I guess. Uh, a, lot of, um, a lot of the assistance goes directly into the Red Cross, and there's, uh, that's a whole pretty complex topic in itself as to the effectiveness of uh, organizations that are as large as small governments uh, and whether or not they can really effectively meet the needs of a large group of people. Um, so to, to some degree, uh, it is fairly difficult to, to come by um, food donations and propane and other things like that, and it's been uh, quite a lot of effort putting those things together. There, but it's true in Katrina, it will begin to happen. It will begin to happen even when we were Waveland, Mississippi. It began to happen. It, uh, I, I, I hope that people don't forget about uh, about what's happening here. I know that in, in our news cycle, uh, people tend to move on really quickly to the next uh, the next topic, the next disaster, the next tweet that Donald Trump puts out. So I uh, I hope that people don't forget about uh, this uh, right. flood that had occurred here because it, it was just unimaginable in scale uh, to to flood the the fourth largest city uh, in the country and um, devastated we, I guess time will tell if if America as a whole uh, continues to respond or if it gets passed by the wayside as uh, more exciting things come into the news well time will indeed uh, tell and hey lucid uh, once again you're showing that you're well worthy of your name lucid so lucid let's stay in touch uh, we'll be here as of uh, uh, hopefully not just the voice of what's going on, but we're definitely a voice. Uh, uh, rest assured, here we be. I love you, brother. Keep up the good work. Thank you. I love you, too. It's good to talk with you both. Absolutely. And we send in our best, of course, and uh, we'll keep letting people know how they can donate to altruistrelief.org to help you guys do what you're doing, which is showing the best uh, face of, of neighborliness and um, camaraderie and the spirit of, uh, you know, helping our neighbors. Um, 
and wherever they may be, near or far, maybe 3,000 miles away. So, Lucid, thank you, of course, for all that you're doing. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your program. It's a wonderful service. Well, we are happy to be here for you. And, and anybody else who feels like they want to, you know, be part of this conversation as well, um, they can, you know, join you on a, on a phone call sometime or, or contact us separately and let us know what's going on. Um, you know, they, they just want to get, get the word out. And that's what, that's what we're here for. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, keep, keep those spirits high. And uh, this is, it's, it's so good to be in touch with our friends down there who are doing such great work down in Houston. Um, if, again, if you can uh, donate at all and, or volunteer, uh, check out altruistrelief.org and, uh, and, and watch some of Lucid's videos that we, we played a few of the videos uh, a little bit earlier in the show to give you kind of a back, background of what's been going on and how, how this, uh, this effort has has come to fruition. How, how so, well worthy of his name is Lucid. I know, so 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 clear and 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 clear-headed and and articulate, and uh, really appreciate all the information that comes out of the Lucid Lorax YouTube channel. So I'm going to play some music from Rasteria, a track called Rain.
You're listening to the Common Thread Collective here on MutinyRadio.fm. That was some more music from from Renee Asteria from Razteria, her album um, that she sent to our station. So you can do that too. You can send a CD if you want to Mutiny Radio, care of the Common Thread Collective, 2781 21st Street, San Francisco, California 94110, and I will play your music so thanks to for that and it's cool to have uh, that female voice with that reggae beat on the show today and we're back in the studio diamond dave and i are here and we've got our friends we've got a couple poets and writers we've got our friend uh, jack melander to to share some poetry and then uh, nina who's gonna we're gonna play some music and and re- hear her story indeed indeed nina's back from her uh World, her countrywide uh, coming, going to Europe and beyond, I'll say worldwide tour. And here she said, Say, Nina, it's so good to see you. Hey, Jack, give us your poem. Um, well, this one's called uh, Reflection. Uh, Does he who dwells behind the glass wherein I look suspect what he will find? Should he wink? The cook he sees must right then wink my other eye. Who'd think? Supposing I then trace with my right index finger clockwise loops in space. His south paw circles linger with counterclockwise grace, quite complimentary and yet contrarian, sincerest flattery with artful varian. In portrait to my left hangs she beside our mirror by whom my heart was reft. Since then I've been joy's fearer. Let mirrored me glance right, he would 
more than likely see some nymph whom he rebounded to since losing not one week to rue, leaning languorous on his wall, his joy, his frame of fleeting all. Wow, oh, hey, yeah, give me a wordsmith. Uh, here's, this is called To the Brokenhearted. It isn't like there's no relief from love's rejection's stunning grief. There's surefire consolation to be found where the booze does gush or when smokes win inhalation, whether they're legal or ill, but more inward invigoration in the runner's endorphin rush, and more heady exhilaration in the skater's adrenaline thrill. You'll soon be rebounding from lost joy when you're some new sprites lover boy. Okay, well, thank you, Janet. Thank you. Okay. All right, a man with a way with words, that's for sure. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. Now, here be Nina. And, uh, and got Jack, I wanted to say I really liked your poetry. That was really cool. Thank you for being here and coming through. Um, I first met Jack, I guess, back in uh, maybe April of this year at the Sacred Grounds, and you won the, the drawing for Poems Under the Dome, so you got to read at City Hall this past yeah, April. Yeah, really fun. Well, it's going to be happening again. It is. 13th what? Annual, Poems Under the Dome. Yeah, Who would have imagined? Coming up in April. but. When I had that first vision, sitting on in Alamo, standing in Alamo Park, early one morning, looking at City Hall, uh, underneath me, uh, underneath me, a perfect view, and I remember thinking, it just floated in my mind, hey, what a great place for an open mic, and uh, I took it from there, I had to walk right down that hill to City Hall, and said. Uh, yeah, I'd like to, I said to the people I'd like to say to the board, uh, the chairman of the board of supervisors, the supervisors then, Aaron Peskin, is back on the board. Aaron Peskin, I got this great idea of having an open mic here in City Hall. And he said, let's do it. And, and, and there it was, and we, that was now our 13th annual coming up. So that was about 14 years ago that I had that vision. And I had no idea, one, that it could happen if, uh, when I started, and certainly that it would happen early. Um, uh, it, it, would happen, it would happen year after year after year after year after year, but here we are. Um, certainly. Here be, now, um, here be um, Nina. Nina. And Nina has requested a song, uh, uh, which was the inspiration for, for her uh, short story, is that right, Nina? Yeah. Well, we got to go right that far. So let's play that song, and then Nina can read her uh, short story. All right. So the song is Merle Haggard, Teach Me to Forget. taught me how to love with all my heart with all my soul I trusted you and now you say we have to live apart a thing I don't know how to do You say someday I'll find somebody new And I'll 
conundrum for sure and here will be a short story written I guess and after hearing that around hearing that is that right yep yeah that's right well read the story you got it earworm Merle Haggard was dead the radio said so they played every song he ever wrote and some others that he didn't I pulled onto the interstate the next song came on and it was Merle again with teach me to forget My phone rang. I had to wonder if she wasn't lying in bed listening to the same damn station. I shut the radio off. It's me, she said. I'm almost to the bridge, I told her. Do what you want, she said, and hung up. I turned around and drove right back where I came from. I parked around the corner from her place. She came out in a hurry, in a little black jacket with the hood pulled over her ears. We drove around a while. I listened while she sang all the same tunes as Merle. She was lonely. She was all mixed up. She'd been drinking, and she couldn't stop thinking about me. I did what I had to do about that. I drove straight across town and got a room for us at the Red Roof Inn. We killed a six-pack of Miller, smoked cigarettes in silence. We left the TV on, but it was all happening to someone else. We were doomed, for all the usual reasons. She'd never leave him no matter how much she bitched. Once we'd had enough, she slipped her ring back on. That was to let me know it was time to go. I checked out, dropped Isabella off at their apartment. I drove home and tried to remember to put everything back in the right place. Madison never asked questions. She was silently building a case against me. I knew how it would turn out. One day I'd come home and her bags would be packed. We used to laugh at anything, listen to all the same music. After a while, we started telling two different sides of the same story. Isabella was like some strange hitchhiker I'd picked up in the middle of a storm. The road ahead was paved with black ice. We were hydroplaning. She asked me once, don't you feel bad? I said, Izzy, do it or don't, but don't feel bad. We were holding our breath like a couple of scared kids running through a graveyard. Three weeks had passed since the Red Roof Inn. I still couldn't get that song out of my head. 
I'd be watching TV or standing in line at the liquor store when I catch myself humming the melody. Maybe I breathed too deeply while a dead man was singing. Maybe she found somebody new to screw around with. You always want to believe you're not so easy to forget. One night I dreamed I got a phone call. It was Isabella on the other line, only she didn't sound like herself. I drove out to her apartment. The place was dark. It was a bad idea. I went up and knocked on the door anyway. No answer. When I reached for the doorknob, it burned my hand in a way. It was so hot I had to wrap my shirt around the knob to turn it. When I opened the door, there was a bright flash, just like someone had taken a picture. Then I was standing alone in the ashes of my past life. It was the sort of dream that can turn a grown man into a nervous poodle. At home, Madison treated me like an antique chair she happened to bump into once in a while. She was waiting for something to happen, big enough to damn me. Every day she gave me more rope to hang myself with. I started driving by Isabella's place late at night when all the lights were out. I wondered if she was lying awake in the dark thinking about me. I'd smoke a few cigarettes and drive back across the bridge. Living a lie is like wearing a uniform. It's not you, but you do it every day to get paid. It was early May when I finally got the call. The sound of her voice was like the sun breaking through the clouds after a long spring rain. Do you want to see me, she said. Of course I do, Isabella. I've been worried, I said. Why haven't you called? I'm calling now, she said. Meet me at Wyndham Garden in half an hour at the bar. Then nothing. I hung up. I swore up and down I wouldn't go. At 9.30 p.m. I pulled into the back lot. She had her hair pulled back. She was wearing a tight black skirt and high heels. It was the most dressed up I'd ever seen her. In all my memories of her, our clothes were on the floor. We sat one seat apart at the bar, paid separately. I finished my third whiskey sour before the hour was up. When I left, I misplaced my spare room key on the empty seat in between us. Inside ten minutes, she was in my arms again. I must have dozed off. I woke up to Isabella's hot breath on the back of my neck. That was the last time, she said. You know that, don't you? That snapped me out of it. I sat straight up in bed. Hold on a minute, Izzy, I said. I know you're scared. She actually laughed. I went on anyway. Let's take some time apart. You call me when you're ready. She said, I can't do this anymore. Sure you can. We're here now, I said. I'm running out of excuses, she said. And there's someone waiting at home for you, too. That never stopped us before, I said. She wasn't having it. It's really over this time, she said. Izzy, calm down. Let's first sit and talk about this. I have a cab waiting, she said. Can't you stay a while, I said. We're out of time. She slipped out of bed. I watched her dress. Every stitch on her back was a knife in my chest. When she got down to the high heels, I knew it was the end of the road. In the morning, I checked out of Wyndham Garden alone and drove home to a place that didn't exist. When I opened the door to our apartment, it was all gone, every trace of my life with Madison. All she left behind were a few empty hooks on the walls and a roll of toilet paper in the bathroom. Funny she should choose that day to finally do something about it. I fixed a drink from a bottle I'd stashed and sat alone in the dark in the kitchen. Losing Madison was, was one thing. I wondered if I'd ever get that haggard tune out of my head. Oh my goodness. Wow. Every word is perfect. <laughs> Every word is perfect. And I, and I kept thinking of that Bob Dylan line, you were right from your side and I was right from mine. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me want to cry and laugh at the same time. Hey, sister. Yeah. That's all you do. Thank you. Thank Keep you. Keep coming back. I know you've been bad, been bad from a long, months-long uh, tour of Europe and uh, Caribbean. Is that right? No Caribbean. Oh. I wish. Oh, I thought it was. <laughs> Where was it you were? Where were you before you went to Europe? Um, here and and then uh, and then um, Spain and France and a little bit of Italy too. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Okay. Well, welcome back. Sister. Thank you. Thank you both. You're yeah. Welcome, welcome back. Europe. Yeah. Thank that you. was a that was really a, a kind of a gripping story. I, <laughs> I was I was in it the whole time. Awesome. It was it was really it was just very um, it was very real. That's it. Was the best the, thing of the story is when it has a ring of truth. That's right. And here, here and it had that. So here be.
Nina. And Nina, Nina, what's your what's your full name, Nina? So I can note this in our notes. Or do you do you just go by Nina? That's that's good enough. Hey, that's that's cool. That's why I ask. <laughs> Thank you. So by being just Nina, you remain kind of anonymous at the same time being the, uh, being Nina. So uh, here we are. Thanks for coming through. Thank you both. How was you? Uh, so um, how long were you in Europe? Uh, about three months total. All right. What were we doing? Just traveling Just around? Traveling around, yeah. Good for you. Yeah. What's the What's the scene like these days? How are the people feeling? What do you encounter? They want to know what's going on with Trump and all this. You know, uh, people are really curious. Uh, yeah, didn't have any answers, but it was good to have some discussions. Yeah. Absolutely. I've always found that, I mean, because I, I started traveling, like, I left the country for the first time in 2002, and so... It was, I always felt like kind of like an unofficial little peace ambassador, you know, where you go to other parts of the world and everyone there is much more informed than Absolutely. a lot of the people that you know back home. And you spend a lot of the time feeling like you have to apologize or 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 explain or, or try to you know try to you know smooth out the edges but what what's really remarkable is that usually the folks that you're talking to they're not it's not a combative thing at all they just really want to talk about it they crave information yeah Yeah, they want to know what people are thinking and um uh definitely a a much more um like a broader world view i think um when you're talking with folks from other places yeah by design Right on. Well, I'm glad you're out there um, and uh, interacting with the people and spreading the love and uh, getting your creative juices flowing. Uh, right on, Nina. Yeah, thanks for the space, Val. Absolutely. Anytime. We'd be excited to hear your next chapter, if there is a next chapter, or if that's just the suspended uh, reality of uh, of that particular little saga. Who knows what's going to happen next? We never know what's going to happen next, especially here on the Common Thread Collective. I never know what's going to happen next, um, but that's part of the fun. So thanks for being here, Nina, and all of our friends who are here this afternoon at Mutiny Radio. I saw Mona Lisa just walked in. So um, it is, uh, wow, it's just about 4.30. So I'm going to play a little music for you from another artist who came into our show a long time ago and her name is each that's e-i-t-c-h and uh here's a song called you'll find a way
are dead. Even the bees are dead. Hey, that was some cool music from each. And, uh, Right on. So much is happening here at 21st in Florida. We hope you come down and join us in person sometime. Love to have you come hang out. You could read your stories. You could read your poetry. You could talk about your activism and community, your travels, uh, your vagabonding. That's a word I made up. And um, obviously also play some music. Um, we love to have uh, live music as part of our shows here on the Common Thread Collective. So I'm I'm wondering what exactly if was going to be happening next. I know uh, Nikki's here. I'm not sure if she's ready. Um, maybe she'll give me a thumbs up. Okay, that was a head, that was a head nod. A head nod is is good is a good start. Uh, Dave, how you doing over there? Oh well, you I'm made a, it. You made it back. I'm a recuperating. Still recuperating. I, I hope uh, hope that's what's going on. It's not a case of sudden senility. So recuperating means things will get better. Sudden senility means they won't. But here be Nikki, and she uh, was referred to us by Mona Lisa, who's also here. So take it away, Nikki. All right, so hi, my name is Nicolette. Um, I am a student at San Francisco State. Uh, I'm a second year majoring in political science. Um, I'm originally from LA. Compton was the last city I lived in, so um, I wrote a poem based on some part of my experience there, and um, I'm sort of just talking about the gang violence and things like that that happen in the city and some of the effects that it's had, but um, Compton isn't really as negative as it's perceived to be. Um, like we we have a lot going for us there. We have a golf course, mansions, uh, farms, and uh, just so much um, that makes the city great. But a lot of people don't really know about it because they're too focused on uh, the gang violence. So um, it's called the City of Hope for that reason because it there's a lot that makes the city amazing and beautiful. So, um, here it goes. <clears throat> Compton, the city of hope. Or is it the city of broken homes filled with broken souls? The city with harsh streets swarmed with harsh peeps who are tired of hearing nothing but the screams of people's dreams that turn into nightmares as they were being torn from their scenes, suddenly having no other choice but to be the homeless boys and girls who had to quickly turn into men and women trapped outside, cold and abandoned when I'm nuzzled in. These obscene things that one as a Compton citizen has seen are not ways of living. They're means of surviving. From the actions we committed to the words we uttered at night, questioning, questioning if that was a firework or a firearm when someone's taken another life. Someone's taken another reason for the loved ones to smile, so now there's nothing but tears and scars left. Because when you kill someone, they don't feel the pain. Their loved ones do. The world hurt us, so then we hurt each other, and it turned into a way of life. No, we didn't choose this thug life, but we chose to keep living it after it claimed us. We became the bad guys we feared as a child, the ones that took our friends and family one by one, painfully leaving a scar each time. 
Some of those scars healed, but none ever faded. So to make matters worse, we poured salt in each other's wounds as if we didn't want to be the only ones suffering, as if we wanted others to feel our pain. It seems as though that's what the thug life really is. Some thugs grew so obsessed with their thug life they didn't grow as a person. Some cared so much about it they didn't care about the lives of others. Some just said you only live once, and for them, that wasn't very long. Some became so consumed by the present they didn't stop to think about the future. They dropped out of school and eventually became the bums on the bus and train at night who will tell you about their life and to not make the same mistakes as they. Funny how sometimes the only family you have is the one that destroys others. Society broke them, so then they broke society and never learned how to rebuild themselves. Or maybe they just gave up because they had been broken down too many times. In school, the only mass some of the boys learned was how to add weed into their life. And as for the girls, some of them only learned to divide their legs for their boys, but they didn't learn the aftermath till after that. They started Compton's next generation. They had the kids who turned to selling drugs just to end up as another child left behind. And no teacher of theirs attempted to change their path. Their teachers were the ones who would sit and do nothing as they fought and would hand them a worksheet and say, your problem, not mine. They gave no hope to the hopeless. As a matter of fact, they gave up on the kids before the kids could even give up on, on themselves. But those teachers didn't just tear their dreams. They tore the dreams of the kids who were actually trying to be a big one from Big Ten to, the get, to get to the university of their dream, only to be discriminated against one way or another. Just like that football player that beat the statistics and worked his ass up to the NFL with a 4.1 GPA, but still got labeled as an ignorant thug. Yeah, they mad, bro. They mad that a black man was able to defy all odds while the world was against him. But see, he had to climb up constant stairs of education that had almost nothing but missing and broken steps while he was being dragged down by life's problems. Yet he still reached the stars while some of those privileged boys who had everything handed to them weren't even able to reach the clouds. He went from being in the dirty to the being in the sweet sea. If you can make it a Compton, you can make it anywhere. Pete Sherman in his sermon, as Kendrick said, we gonna be all right. Compton. The city of hope, where dope becomes the only way to cope, where people have homies but they don't have homes, where families live in a room with 13 yet the room's still cold and lonely, where the good live to die young from the gunshot wound before they died to live, where everyone fights in the same war on the same side but still fight each other, where some children refuse to break stereotypes after their parents broke their sanity crossing deserts, rivers, and borders, where fathers are the first men to break their daughters' hearts by being as ghostly as the smoky trails left by, left by the men who break her windows during the drive-bys. Where everyone has a role model that's just an example for them to be nothing like. Where everyone praises a rapper for staying true but lets his words of wisdom go in one year and not the other as if it were nothing but the smoke they choke on so they stay blue. Where everyone fears and hates the ones who are sworn to protect and serve but turn on sirens to pass red lights as they look for kids smoking dope and ignore grown men catcalling 12-year-olds but it's probably because they are some of those grown men. Where Long Beach Boulevard is the only place some females can work at, while for others, it's the only place they're willing to work at. Hypersexuality has done a number on them, all because 69 was the number involuntarily done to them when they were between the ages of six and nine. Where a so-called leader on the Board of Education goes from dropping promises to teachers on getting raises to dropping soap. Where some teachers who literally starve for their students are laid off without a second thought by people who smile in front of cameras taking credit for a student's success right after they shut down the program, letting them succeed. Compton. The city of the echoless dreams, it seems, can only be chased if you can shoot a ball or a lyric. But that's only if you're not shot on the spot where the angels lie on a bed of tortured souls as the sounds of helicopters put them to sleep. Compton. The city of hope. Where the only hope is the hopeless youth. Hold on, pain ends. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
I'm still in the process of editing other things. I really appreciate that that piece, you know, and and I know that since as a political science major, you're looking at things from, you know, this broader perspective and and kind of bird's eye view, and uh, it's really, I think it's really important. You made some really important points about um, how you know people kind of either give up on themselves or people or uh, or older generation give up on the kids before the kids even give up on themselves and just the 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 cycle of of role models and what's appealing and then how the lessons don't always get learned uh until maybe a little too late sometimes it was amazing in a bunch of other cities and in those other cities i would um see how um different like children were treated so like um in like the more affluent cities like i've seen that a lot of children they were motivated a lot more and like in school teachers would always ask us like oh what do you want to be when you grow up and they would uh try their best to like motivate us to to reach our um, goals and follow our dreams but um in compton like i didn't really see that so much so um yeah like a lot of the the kids that i've seen that um a lot of people like to call uh, hopeless, like a lost cause and whatnot. A lot of times it's because they were just never motivated. They were never told that they could um, do what they want to do. So, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for looking at that and, and bringing that uh, perspective to share today. Um, yeah, glad you're, glad you're here and Mona Lisa's here. I guess you and Mona Lisa met. How did that, how did that come about? Through Peter Mancini, right? Yeah. Um, I think two weeks ago, yeah, two weeks ago, um, there was a um, an anti-Nazi protest that I went to. So I performed a poem about uh, white supremacy and colonialism. So uh, Peter filmed it and posted it on his Facebook page. And then that's where I met Mona Lisa. Amazing the connections that happen. And she's on her way to uh, um, protect DACA. Yeah. Uh, is there another rally uh, happening uh, now? Yeah, or? Today there's a Stop Urban Shield uh, protest going on in Oakland. So yeah, I was I was going to go there. Where all these cops meet to right exchange on. skills, the skills that trade I would say about trade craft. And they meet there every year to do that. And every year people gather, it says, not in our town, but every year it happens. The hu Human Shield, is that the, the program you're talking about? There's also this whole like demilitarization realization that's happening in consciousness around, you know, especially with the Irma and Harvey, all these extreme weather situations that in situations of... Um, of emergency that um, our government switches over to military governance. And so we have to think about that, um, especially people of color, that, that we realize that how policing and militarized policing affects us differently and often hostily 
that we have to think about, well, in situations where there is an earthquake or a hurricane, that do we have systems in place that will protect us in those times so that we don't have a Katrina incident again, ever, ever again? Yeah, because there was so much violence after Katrina. There was a lot of police violence. Uh, citizens were, well, were shot of by color police. Were, yeah. 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 Like put into the super dome and not let out. And I mean, it was and a, lot of people heard a hellish the, nightmare. And they heard it in the super dome there and then heard it into another, another super dome kind of situation there in Texas. And here we be. And, and Diamond Dave, didn't wasn't it, it, it you that that went out and helped with the um, New Jersey incident that happened? Oh, I was there too. That was called the Superstorm Sandy. Yes, indeed. I was in Union Beach, and we were gathered and feeding the people in Union Beach, uh, New Jersey. And now we we just talked to Lucid, who's down there in Texas, and soon we'll hear about from Felipe, who's there in South Florida. So the beat goes on, and a common thread be the rainbow-gathering family. But indeed, Mona Lisa, but we're coming close to peace day. You were, you were able to work it out, uh, work it out uh, for the, uh, this is also, uh, my 50th anniversary is there. I'm called the 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love. And I happen to be there in that street that some called Love, others called Hate Street, 50 years ago. And, it, and I'm still be connecting, connected, and making up. So I'm, I'm still here. I'm still here. And in fact, I'm going to be involved with getting the people together. If you put a hand in each hand, you have what? A circle. And we'll kick off uh, uh, Peace in the Park, Summer of Love, uh, Peace Day in uh, Golden Bay Park. What's the date of that again? September 23rd, but just to clarify, because I know that please. there's been some confusion. Okay. Summer of Love was not given its permit. And Summer of Love was denied its permit unfairly and unjustly by right. the city That's of San Francisco. And so Peace in the Park, is an, this is its fifth year coming but uh, the international day of peace the the internationally recognized day of peace on september 21st is recognized every year here in san francisco and that happens every year and this event is this year calling special attention to the summer of love but in in no way is um able to compensate for the the just denial. tremendous, important event that must happen and will happen, which is the Summer of Love anniversary. We will make sure that that happens in San Francisco uh, one way or another. And um, I believe that um, Peace Day will be part of that ongoing organizing effort to make sure that justice happens here in our city. And you've been a part of organizing events for Peace Day here in San Francisco for many years, several years. You've put together um, International Peace Day, Peace Day SF in UN Plaza Civic Center. Um, but yeah, now um, Peace in the Park, which is a 
national and international movement uh, to have peace festivals kind of in, in conjunction with or to help support the, the UN International Day of Peace, um, you know, principles and movement. Um, I know they have peace in the park now in New York. They've had it in like Trinidad, you know, so peace in the park is something that's that's happening in a lot of different places. Um, but here, the, the, and the earth one. dance, earth dance is happening. Yeah, there are a lot of different events that have evolved um, over time around the International Day of Peace, um, various meditations, which we will be participating in at noon and at four um, at Golden Gate Park at the Music Concourse. Uh, the event is from 11 to 6. We're very, very much family friendly and open to everyone. Everyone is welcome to come celebrate peace because peace is possible. We'll be meditating. We'll be dancing, we'll be rocking out, we'll be doing it all, hearing poetry, getting inspired, um, tuning in, turning on. And um, I hope everyone comes out and feels welcome because everyone is welcome. Hanging in, hanging out, and, have, uh, and hanging around. The arms are open. If you happen, that'd be a beautiful spot for it too. I'm talking about the uh, I'm talking about the dough of the, uh, the the shell. The band shell. The band shell. Been a while, but since that thing happened there, I, you know, throughout the 90s, I did a show every year called Soup Stock. It was a benefit for Food Night Bombs. And so throughout the, throughout the event, there at the band show, we'd be cooking and serving, so indeed it'd be food for the food of body, mind, and spirit. And maybe this will be something similar. Food for the, the mind and the spirit, and we'll see what we can do to make it food for the body as well. Is that right? That's right. Well, you know, the reality is is that to have an event in the city of San Francisco, you know, um, it's it, it's really apropos to this um, ongoing kind of neoliberalism corporatocracy where there is an ongoing struggle in cities across America to retain access to the commons where there is a, a, a pressure to profiteer off the commons by corporate interests. And that's something that we've been seeing across America. There's a, a book right now out by Juan Gonzalez of Democracy Now! about that. It's called like Gotham, New Gotham. Mm. But it, it really addresses the issue of the business model of city operations where uh, profiteering and um, maximizing financial returns on the on the commons is part of how governance is feeling that they're supposed to be doing their job and where we really need to address how we we run our cities where we run them for the people by the people or if we are running them um, for the corporations and for profit that's right and this be a step, at least uh, in, in some, uh, some way, saying, no, it doesn't have to be that way. 
in a city where ever-increasing fees for a place like the Band Shell, ever-increasing fees that have become, and you said it so well, uh, corporatization, uh, uh, government for the corporations. Yeah, well, the lexicon we don't have yet, right? Like, we don't want to speak the master's language of, you know, when I say double taxation, I'm not sure about the legitimacy of taxation in the first place, but if we're just going to say double taxation where the people have to pay, if the model is that um, uh, for-profit corporations or even non-profit corporations, but big mega corporations pay for access to the commons and they pay for that based on some sort of algorithm that the city develops that's based on how much the, the, the taxpayer spends to operate the commons. And then if they turn around and say to the commons when they want to also access their commons, hey, well, you have to pay on this pro rata basis uh, that we apply to oh corporations. That's double taxation. Okay. I'm not sure how legitimate the first place taxation happened, but the second place taxation, I think we can all agree, is is unconscionably wrong that we shouldn't be be restricted from accessing the commons like that to get a permit to have an event in san francisco now requires like huge obstacles financial obstacles it's it's, it's like putting on an expensive wedding and that these increasing obstacles are 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 unnecessary um uh, bureaucracy that's interfering with our access to what we're supposed to have that we need to have to have our community and I find it vital to our movement that we we address this here and now on this 50th anniversary because at least like if i could say then we do have and they haven't been, been able to totally destroy this yet our first amendment rights to speak freely first amendment to whatever spiritual path we're on, uh, uh, and uh, and our right to, our First Amendment right to assemble, which means gather, which means the people coming together. And that's what we have to rest on to say with all this stuff that's happening, we do have this, the, 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 the poor progenitors of this country, put that out there. But when they when they decided to come for the first ten amendments of the Constitution, was our First Amendment right to speak, to gather. And thanks, uh, Mona Lisa, for all you do, doing your best to make that happen. And this will be again on the twenty third uh, of uh, September, coming right up. Pew, uh, peace in the park, summer of love, nineteen sixty seven, two thousand seventeen. 50 years. Hey, Mona Lisa, here we are. I love you, sister. I love you too, Diamond Day. Oh, my goodness. So nice so to good be here with you. To be a voice here on Mutiny Radio. I don't know if it wasn't for, if we weren't here, where we get a chance for people to, do, to express their First Amendment right, right to speak freely and to sing freely and to love freely. Here we are. Okay, thanks, Mona Lisa. Now we have Richard. Come on in, Richard. Oh no, he's 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 saying not now. Not now. When? Maybe. Oh, he's got to go. Leaving. He just came for the for the atmosphere and the company today, okay. and to help out, as he did last week. Thank you, Richard, for oh, helping Richard. out. You uh, were essential in making sure that Diamond Dave is here this week. 
<laughs> he was found by Richard Sanderell, uh, tracked down in St. Francis Hospital. And oh, San Francisco uh, should be taking care of its peoples. And the commons should be accessible by the folks who love and uh, adore uh, the common public spaces and want to celebrate our local culture and our local history that is still living and expanding all the time here. <clears throat> so I'm really happy to be uh, part of Peace in the Park. It's going to be a great day, uh, Saturday, September 23rd. Golden Gate Park in the band shell. Yeah, thinking about the First Amendment and even Mutiny Radio itself, the idea that we have a voice, we have a culture, and that we co-create that together, and we are being force-fed a culture by the corporatocracy, and it's up to us to resist that by exercising our own culture and some of that is celebration some of that is just rocking out and dancing in the sunshine and being ourselves together in community and feeling that family vibe together that humanity because corporations aren't human and they don't breathe and they don't love us and coca-cola isn't our benevolent uncle you know i was in uh, you mentioned just being able to, you know, enjoy life and, and kind of live out loud. And I was listening to a program, a radio program today on KPFA, talking to <clears throat> an Iranian woman um, who, well, they were talking about music and um, how pop music in Iran was like really, like really suppressed um, by the powers that be for a good part of a decade and then they kind of started to like let some pop music come back in um, but it was still very kind of controlled um, but the idea that, that came up in the conversation was that joy is something that is spontaneous and uncontrollable and therefore the the powers the powers that want to control are f fearful of joy and 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 human expression because it's not something that you can uh you know you can't bottle it you can't um you know take it away um and you can't you can't uh, you can't rein that in no what's that saying that the poet said uh, the key to joy is disobedience nice <laughs> means no rules be free that's the that's the key to anarchy right make no rules for others just make rules for yourself i was reading in um uh i forget what book it was but it was a book on religion and the author was saying that catholics couldn't be anarchists because they're too sincere and i took issue with that i said i don't know <laughs> i think catholics can be anarchists like dorothy day right Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the Catholic workers. She said there's no pathway to peace. Peace is the pathway. Yeah. Right? I always thought that was very deep. Yeah, you got to just you know. be be who you are and and uh, and, and live, live a, a... Right. Just keep breathing and, and if living. If you're a and peaceful person, you don't have to change. You're already doing the work. Yeah. Right? That's right. right? You don't have to aspire to it. Because you already have it in you to be a peaceful person, right? right? 
A lot of people don't, they're not even told that. They don't even, they're not even aware of that. Most people jump to violence first. Mm. Shoot first, ask questions later. Mm. That's how our culture is a lot of the times. Yeah. Which, um, which comes from a lot of propaganda and psychological warfare to try to tamper it out. Well, I think we have a bigger job of tuning things out now. You know, there's a lot more to tune out. We had very little newspaper, three television stations, and a radio. Mm-hmm. Now, it's just so beyond that, that you can enter into like a Alice through the looking glass kind of place and end up endorsing things that are not cool. You know, or just following people who are not leading you in the right direction. Yeah. You know, um, belief is a really, it's a really tough thing to change in people, beliefs. I try not to believe in anything, (laughs) but I do believe that other people believe things and that if you can test their beliefs, they'll hurt you. So I do believe that other people believe in things, but I, I don't know why, <laughs> but I don't try. I try not to test them on it too much. Sure. Yeah. You know. I mean, it's a you know, pick your battles kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. 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 So we're talking with Bloodflower now. I think even introduce, reintroduce Bloodflower because usually he's, you know, he's just playing music and maybe making a couple of uh, comments afterwards. But occasionally he gets the, he, he has something that he's prepared and, and wants to read, sometimes a sonnet. For someone who never leaves the house, I get around. <laughs> you sure do. For someone who doesn't get out much, I get out, I get out and around. Um, I want to, um, <laughs> I want to read, if I may, if I have permission, I'd like to read two sonnets. Yeah. And, um, I, um, I don't know why I started, well, I know why I started writing sonnets. A, a novelist named, um, Robert Anton Wilson, um, said in a book of his called Prometheus Rising that if you write a sonnet every day, you will increase your intelligence like within a year. Now I tried that as an experiment, and I guess I got a lot smarter, but for some reason my computer died and I lost a lot of the I lost a lot of the work. I managed to print some things, uh. you know. So I did get smarter. I just said I'm not gonna, you know, compose poetry on a computer anymore. That so that's that's how my intelligence got boosted. Yeah, you rose above the computer. I, you, in this case, were smarter than the computer. Well, Let's, I don't know if it has anything to do with intelligence. I just like I lost all that work, and like as that's I felt hard. Like, gee, well, that's hard. That's hard uh, to do. For 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 the elucidation of a listenership, so what is it, what is a sonnet? A sonnet is a fourteen-line poem which usually conveys an idea or some kind of abstract thought. Um, Originally, um, a lot of uh, sonnets were attributed to Shakespeare and such, Uh, but I follow more of a looser interpretation of like um, my fellow Rhode Islander, Ted Berrigan, the poet. 
he wrote sonnets that were very avant-garde in shape and form and stuff like that. But he was very concise and made sure every word counted and that he placed it in the right place. Like he didn't just come in and spew things all over the place. He had it very methodical and he put it together and he presented it in a very formal way, which is really hard to do when you're a poet and living on Pepsi and junk food. Not, yeah. a, not an easy task. Let me Ted Berrigan, but here be you. Take yes. it away, Bloodflower. Sonnet D. Drinking with bald lady death all night, rattling dice with coyotes one-eyed sister. At dawn, they shoot me to the curb, all smiles and sunglasses and silver. Out into the streets with you, dirt boy. Sober up and slay the dragon of your mind. Win the hands and hearts of harlots and die with a toothache in your heel. Thus I was wrapped in feral skins, sharp spices, fetish crystals, feathers, beads of ruby light and eagle claws. Wide-eyed, I wandered the streets and plazas, casting out serpents, healing cripples, straightening the lame, spreading a venal gospel of love. Wow. Hey. That, that was transcendent. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. you Thank another you. One. Yeah, one more, if you'll indulge me. Thank you. Um, I wrote this one for um, poet E.K. Keith because she would never write a sonnet like this. <laughs> Angel of darkness, what have we left? A shadow of a shadow, merely a miscast miscreant. No, no hungry soul may decipher these mangy surfaces with their splits and their fissures. These are as they are, so they tell me, or they are nothing at all. I am told some communicate through table tapping, yet the deceased, they lie to themselves as well. Leave them to expire like bison gutted in their waste, and they will certainly stink I am told, like the dead tend to stink. Scarabs roll their hungry lunar dirt balls across the backs of sleeping skulls, where the black roses of Persia rise and open to greet them in the morning sun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow, Blood Flower. You're an amazing poet. Thank you very much. This is an amazing poetry place. Uh, amazing booth for poetry. I feel like uh, it's very fertile ground for me, you know. And speaking of... Um, speaking of E.K. E. Keith, e. Keith e. here e. she Keith. is. Here she I just, to be. I just dedicated a poem to you because I said you'd never write a poem like that, so I wrote one for you. So oh, thanks, gonna, Blood you're Flower. You're going to have to listen to the podcast. I, now I have to. Now That's have right. To. At five, about the five o'clock hour. <laughs> <clears throat> two, two sonnets from Bloodflower. Very cool. Ah, the poetry. It is fertile ground. I'm glad that you feel that way. And you know, I, I, it's such. 
it's so cool to be here at Mutiny Radio and, and open up this space and uh, let people be and explore and create and share. Um, a lot comes out of it. So, some writers, they have to write for people. You know what I'm saying? Like if there's no one to write for, it doesn't seem like it makes sense. So if I write something, I try to write like something with you or David or Keith in mind or Richard, something that you'd like to hear. So I have an excuse to inflict my poetry on the general public. Inflict away. Yes, we are the happy recipients of your infliction of poetry. Well, don't get too carried away now. There's too much of a good thing, you know. Oh, yeah, but sometimes it takes a long time to get to that point. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> now, now, Bloodflower featured over at Sacred Grounds I on did. Wednesday night, and it was super cool. Oh. So speak of like podcasts and video casts or whatever the young people are calling them these days <laughs> you can actually catch that show because um, they live stream it and it's recorded so i can't i you just have to look it up everybody sacred grounds it was this past wednesday which was september the fifth. sixth fifth something fifth, sixth. Some, sixth sixth we're we're good with dates. It was a gas. It was really good. <laughs> it was see. really good. So he, you he did, was really good. You did poetry, or did mm-hmm. you do music too? I did. I did. Yeah, and um, I like poetry. Um, I like. I don't call it poetry. I call it like spoken word. I call it just like jottings. Like now, I'm trying to like make them coherent in a sonnet form, which is like really amazing for me because I utterly lack any kind of coherency. Mm. <laughs> we have a, We've Pleasant surprises here. around Thanks every corner. Hi, Dave. EK, what did you bring along? Well, I did bring my notebook. Okay. And, and, your, and, uh, and oh, yourself. And I have some news, y'all. I've got the date for the 13th annual Poems Under the, the Dome. Dome. 13th annual. Hot, yeah, it's going to be April the 19th, 2018. I know it's early to be thinking about 2018. Oh my goodness. Well, actually, it's not because did I tell you guys what I did in June? The funny thing that I did? No. So my sweetheart and I, we suddenly realized in like, like June 1st or whatever that we hadn't gotten our, our voters guides. For the midterm elections. Oh, yeah. We hadn't got our voters' guides. That happens so, every time. Well, well, no, get this. So I call up the election commission at City Hall, you know, and I'm like, hey, I didn't get my voter guide. You know, what's going on? Should I come pick one up? And the the very kind lady was like, and now now which election are you talking about? I was like, you know, the, the June midterm election. She's like, well, I have to tell you, you're not the only person who's called. But the midterm election is actually scheduled for June 2018. <laughs> It'll be almost exactly a year from now. And I was like, oh, oh. I see. We're all just ready to vote. <laughs> That's fantastic. That oh, shows yeah. your, your civic engagement. Sure does. You um, know, I also look at cardboard. I got, a, I got a package today at work. And I'm looking at cardboard boxes really differently. I'm already like, ooh, that would make a good protest sign. Look at that big piece there. <laughs> recycling. Planning. It's a, re- it's a recycling. It's a revolution based on re- renewable resources. <laughs> or recycling, at least. Right? That, that'd be a sign of something that happened at the, in our protest. 
that by the people coming together after the, the day of the inauguration of Donald Trump already, the numbers knew that there's something amiss. We got out. And this was the first time that I remember that people began making their own signs, getting their own piece of cardboard, making their own sign, using their own imagination, and not being put in a box of the imagination of someone else. So it's, uh, that's so good, so special, so needed. Here we be, as you see. So you guys want to hear a poem yeah, or something? Okay. Yes, please. You here to do, and we be here to listen. All right. Well, so you know it's September, like we've been talking about, and uh, so I realized this April that you know I do that that poem a day for every day of April. So to celebrate my seventh year of writing 30 poems in 30 days for April, I decided to do it for every month that has 30 days. So I've already done April, June, June, now I'm in September, and then I'll I'll do 30 poems again in November. And they're not all good, by the way. In (laughs) fact, they're mostly like, I don't know. It's note notebook stuff but you know i i've got some lines here or there but i want to read you um i want to read you what i wrote yesterday just the one the petty irritations of the day linger because i'm sticky fly paper feelings capture everything everything public school politics a sick building anxious kids teachers stressed out too early forest fires hurricanes deportations religious intolerance the rise of fascism and this tender lymph node swelling under my left ear no <laughs> i went to the doctor today also <laughs> Hope you're feeling better. You feeling okay? I am gonna live. I just yes. So that's what I wrote. Uh, a snapshot into the into the moments of our lives here. Yes, exactly. And all the the things that we uh, are sifting through. No, it wasn't. A, it's it's a sh- like a little. Uh. Yeah, it's a little catalog of like immediate horrors. Uh, well, you well, we have to you, the catalog before we can then. We're going to say, what are we going to do about it? What can we do about it? How we can get together and make something happen? And that's what this, uh, this show, The Common Thread Collective, that's finding that common, uh, casting a wide net. That's what we're doing here. That's what we get a chance to do here in Mutiny Radio. Cast a wide net, heard around the planet. Finding the common thread. What's happening at the moment? Thank you, E.K. Uh, letting it flourish. Yeah. Flourish, flourish, you know, flourish means, which is, uh, which is giving, a, giving a good shot in the arm and uh, flourishing. And of course, we always say, don't panic, just keep it what? Keep it organic. organic. Keep it organic. That means keep right. it in balance. And that's what we do, like you said here, Dave, on the Common Thread Collective, every Friday from oh, 3 to goodness. 6 at Mutiny Radio. And also, if you're feeling overwhelmed by all the things that E.K. was mentioning <laughs> in, her, in her poem and finding yourself suffering a little bit because of it and your health is like uh, kind of on the brink at different moments, I also invite you to come out to Peace in the Park on Saturday Uh, the 23rd of September because it is a festival designed for rejuvenation 
to re- to help you relax for that self care that's really 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 vital um, that we you know take care of ourselves and make sure that we're in a better and a strong place to operate from as we uh, <laughs> as we encounter and and sift through and come up against all of these challenges that are constantly around us especially swirling pretty thick these days. It helps to be healthy when you're fighting the power. Say that again. It helps to be healthy when you're fighting the power. Um, Yeah. Tyrants, autocrats, people like that, they want people sick and confused. That's true. And hopeless. You know, if if you're healthy and rebellious and have a good sense of uh, humor and all that stuff, you know, people, uh, powerful people, they don't like that. They don't like intelligent, happy people. That's right. They don't, because you can't, uh, you can't stamp out joy. (laughs) <laughs> you can't harsh my buzz, Ty. There's right. some buzz in that. There's a little buzz in that microphone. That's what I was trying to do. Peace, love, and understanding. Enjoy. Yes. In other words, what we're saying, and I think this will be my last words, another show, another Friday, is doing more together than any of us can do on our own. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, take it away, Val. I think uh, this has been pretty much the show. Our fri- show for this day, this uh, Friday, is over and done with, and is in the can. Mostly. Can be podcasted. Uh, the podcast mostly. goes up as soon as the show is over. That's true. That's true. It does, and the show's not quite over yet, but uh, yeah, it's it it's all right. Um, I, I know. The, I know the drill here. It is five fifteen, um, and. Ah, uh, it's been a, a, a kind of a, a heady week looking at um, some of the policies that we're up against, um, you know, trying the, the White House and the attorney general saying that they want to end the deferred action program for the dreamers who are children, uh, minors who were brought here as children and have grown up here in the United States and um, but were undocumented. And some of them who only speak English, exactly, um, raised as Americans and, uh, or, you know, yeah, Americans. We, we, we in America kind of forget about the rest of the Americas. I work with a lot of Southern, um, South American people. They're like, it's not just America, you know, but, you know, we, consider, we call ourselves <laughs> Americans. It is for us. And so all, almost 800,000 people who are currently protected under this uh, the dream act um that 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 they fought and pushed for for so many years and obama uh president obama signed and and helped to protect these 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 people these young people so that they could get heaven forbid a driver's license oh hey a i've got j- an idea to fix j- this problem you want to hear my idea yeah what's up let's just give them all citizenship no. Wouldn't that? Wouldn't yeah. that? Yeah. No. Seriously. Let's just give them all citizenship. Yeah. That's my idea yeah. to fix this yeah, problem. Let's just give yeah. them. They've been here. Yeah. They're not leaving. Yeah. Why should they? Yeah. This they, is their country. Right. They want to. They want to go to school. They want to work legally. They already have gone to school. They want. They have gone to school. <laughs> they want to get. They want to get. Uh, you know. They want to get loans and grants so they They've can go to college if they want taxes, to. Taxes, just like the rest of us. That's true. So that's my idea. And, and our country has invested uh, that, in their education. You, maybe use that. That microphone's kind of cut out for me for now. Would you use the other one, please? <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Yeah, I was just saying that. Um, Mona Lisa, thank you. 
the dreamers have been contributing to our society and they also have been um, invested in by our society. They're educated here and they have a lot to offer. Many of them didn't know they were undocumented. Uh, they grew up here, they went to school here. And the idea that we would create an underclass of citizens is something that we can't forget to um, pay attention to, that there is an economic interest in creating an underclass, a class of citizens who's willing to work for less. Um, in the, in the um, Harvey and Irma situation, are afraid to call for help. Right. And that they are, they contribute, they pay taxes, they pay social, social security, but they never collect on it. And they also can't collect on, on the protections of society if they're victims of domestic violence. They can't call out for help. So I think that it's really important to remember that this idea that the underclass is being created through this um, um, DACA reversal we, we really have to pay attention to an entire class of people who don't have access to the, the, the fundamental needs of society. And, and in addition to that, you know, with not just these young people who themselves are, are currently protected under, under the DACA program, but also the effect of, of all of this on their families and you know a lot of these f folks who have been protected under this under this this act um, you know they've gone on to college they've gotten jobs they're supporting their families and yet you know if their parents are still are still here and they're undocumented or if they start to have children and they have children in the country or you know brothers and sisters and I mean it's not just these you know, these 780,000 or 800,000, you know, individuals, it's, it's a broader, um, you know, a ripple effect throughout, throughout society. Um, and it's, it's, it's an ugly thing, but, um, I'm, I'm encouraged by the response and the fact that the dream act got passed in the first place. That was a grassroots movement of people who said, I am not illegal. Nobody is illegal. Like, let me be here. I'm part of this country. I want to contribute to society. And that's how it got to be that these people became protected under the dream act. Um, so we got to keep pressure on our elected representatives, uh, because Congress at this point does have, um, the kind of the next uh, role to play in terms of protecting this law. Yeah, I think you know, just uh, you know, thinking of uh, of this from the perspective of a um, bicultural person and looking at other countries and how they do it, the um, comparative law part, where you think of people who maybe from Japan. So I'm part Korean and I, you know, I've known of people who are Korean, um, ish. They've been, they're like fifth generation Japanese. They've been born of people, born of people, born of people, born of people, born of people in Japan, but you're still not a Japanese citizen because you're a Korean. You're somehow tainted by Korean blood. And for the outside um, Westerner looking at, they were like, aren't you Japanese? You're, you know, no, 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 I'm, I'm seventh generation Korean, not a Japanese citizen. Like where, you know, governments 
and cultures vary and we have to decide what kind of government what kind of culture we have it's already been decided for generations it's only it's only very recently with the inception of donald trump that uh, that there's now a different view that there's now a different view and everything before that is up for grabs, everything for, for that can be changed. And a good example of that is the DREAM Act, which was passed, the past, and, and, and Trump can suddenly, uh, Donald Trump can suddenly say in a moment, no, 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 I'm getting rid of this, and they have six months to try to come to some decision, try to change that. If not, all of these DREAM Act students, uh, these uh, DREAM Act kids, uh, no subject for deportation. No subject to be grabbed in some street corner somewhere, put in a uh, put in a private prison. Private That's right. prison. And then detention centers. Knocked over the border. And uh, Trump, he wants to build a wall. Well, we're we're building a wall, but our wall is a wall of love with a rainbow bridge, and everybody's invited uh, across that bridge. Uh, but Donald Trump and his thugs. Uh, and and uh, our our, uh, our wall costs uh, no money. Our wall is uh, our wall is uh, is a decision of people getting together to say not here. That's for sure. So anyway, there we are. Not here. That's for sure. So I wanted to play a song oh, um, because this album that showed up at Mutiny Radio. I opened it today, actually. It was on the shelf. It had never been opened. But um, uh, it's called Rastaria, and the artist is Renee Asteria. And she's got a song on here called Illegal. And um, so I played it earlier, and it's a groovy song, and it goes along with Dave's uh, poetic commentary about borders being just a line on their map. Their map. Shut is a bunch of a loop. 
you are listening to the Common Thread Collective here at MutinyRadio.fm. We operate out of a funky little community space in the Mission District here at 21st in Florida. We're here every, oh my God, every Friday. Um, <laughs> and it's always a good time. It's always insightful. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we expand from here. This is just a, a, little, a little hub of inspiration uh, where people can come and share and, uh, and be a part of, of something bigger. And, I, you know, radio is a really interesting medium because you don't, you know, we sit here and we're talking and people hang out here and they play music, you know, like 10 feet away. And we're having a good time, but we're, but we're streaming around the planet on the Internet. And so you never know who's listening. And it just it, it, and this is one of the <laughs> I remember being a kid and learning about how 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 sound and, and things travel like and how they uh, what's up? Oh, the speaker is kind of giving us some weirdness. Huh? All right. Oh, it's all right. We're in a spacey tunnel. I'm going to talk about outer space oh, yeah. for a second. You never know where you are. No, no, you never know. And just the, I remember being a little kid and, and learning that, you know, sound kind of like travels and like continues to travel throughout outer space. And that was like the trippiest early thought in my life. And so with, with radio, you know, I mean, we're on the internet. So it's somewhere out there it's being heard and uh, but but we don't necessarily know who's listening at any given time uh we don't obviously see the folks who are listening we know who some of them are but but we don't know who the majority of them are because we just got the stats for april for august and um what we what we get is we we get to know how many people listened to our shows in the month of august and if you go to the website, mutinyradio.fm, like you probably have an R, um, there's different, uh, the, and you go to the podcast, and there's actually two different indexes for our show. There's one that says Common Thread Collective, which is our, our more recent shows. There's also another index that just says Diamond Dave, which is some of our older shows from just like two years ago. Um, and then there's a women's magazine index. So in August, uh, we had a combined um, Common Thread Collective and Diamond Dave listenership of where's that number hold on i had notes um five thousand five thousand times that our show was listened to in the month of august wow. uh, and women's magazine was listened to three thousand times so so that's a lot of people out there listening and every time I, this comes up i want to just say I don't know who you are, but thank you. And I, I just, you know, the fact that you enjoy the show is um, just really cool and really makes it. Uh, what's not to enjoy? I mean, what's not to enjoy? <laughs> different every week. Around the planet. It's different every week. Right here in the Mission District in San Francisco, letting people know what's happening, where it's happening, and how this is happening. We'll keep that in mind. So, hey, Val, thanks for being part of it. Hey, EK, thanks for being here. Hey, Bloodflower, likewise. I'll turn, I'll turn off the spacey uh, sound effects there. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, just just today, I mean, so much happens, uh, has happened today. We talked to Lucid down in Houston with the Altruist Relief 
group. Um, if you want to donate to some of the amazing work that they're doing, uh, you can check out altruistrelief.org. Um, they're feeding like a thousand pe- meals per Dang. per meal. Um, they're going to like.
Arrachant mes mains et demandant tout bas Est-ce que la mort s'en vient Est-ce que la mort s'en va Est-ce qu'il est encore chaud Est-ce qu'il est déjà froid Ils ouvrent mes armoires Ils tâtent mes faïences Ils fouillent mes tiroirs Se régalant d'avance De mes lettres d'amour Enrubanées par deux ils liront près du feu en riant aux éclats. <rire> ah, je les vois déjà, compassés et frileux, suivant comme des artistes mon costume de bois. Ils se poussent du cœur pour être le plus triste. Ils se poussent du bras pour être le premier. Ils ont amené des vieilles qui ne me connaissaient plus. Ils ont amené des enfants qui ne me connaissaient pas. Pensent au prix des fleurs et trouvent indécent de ne pas mourir au printemps quand on aime le lilas. Ah, je les vois déjà, tous mes chers faux amis, souriant sous le poids du devoir accompli. Je te vois déjà Trop triste, trop à l'aise Protégeant sous le drap Tes larmes lyonnaises Tu ne sais même pas Sortant de mon cimetière Que tu entres en ton enfer Qu'on s'accroche à ton bras Le bras de ton quelconque Le bras de ton dernier Qui te fera pleurer Bien autrement que moi 
Ah, je me vois déjà m'installant à jamais, bien au triste, bien au froid, dans mon champ d'eau soleil. Ah, je me vois déjà, je me vois tout au bout de ce voyage-là, d'où l'on revient de tout. Je vois déjà tout ça, et l'on a le brave culot d'oser me demander de ne plus boire que de l'eau, de ne plus trousser les filles, de mettre l'argent de côté, d'aimer le filet de magot, et de crier vive le roi ah, ah, ah. 